Well, good morning. Hey, and welcome to Mount Airy Baptist Church. If you're a first-time guest, on behalf of the church family, let me welcome you and thank you for being here. We're in a sermon series coming towards the end of it now uh, called Last Days, and it's really a, a summer series through the book of 2 Timothy. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there's one there in, fr- in the pew rack in front of you you can open, or if you've got your phone or your pad, you can turn it on and find 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, hopefully you found it by now. Let me make a statement. I want your attention and as I make this statement. I want you to think about what I'm about to tell you. And uh, perhaps we'll wrestle with it a little bit in this message. Your perspective of the Bible is extremely important. Here's why. The way that you view this book will determine in large measure what you do with this book. The way that you view it determines in large measure what you do with this book. What you believe about the Bible really influences what you believe about many other things in life. The things that you decide is right, that are right or wrong, etc. really often comes back to the Bible and, and how you view the Bible. There are two major questions that we all have to wrestle with as we determine our own view of Scripture. The first question is this one, is the Bible reliable? How do I know that I can trust it? How can we have an infallible book written by fallible men? Is the Bible reliable? That's the one question that every Christian has to wrestle with. And even non-Christians, you've got to wrestle with that question. Is the Bible reliable? Second question we wrestle with is this one. Is the Bible relevant? Is there anything in there that is useful for my life? A book that was written so long ago in a different culture, a different time, different languages. Is it relevant to today, to 2015? It's interesting to me that Paul addressed both of those questions in the final letter that he wrote to Timothy before his own execution. Paul was in jail in Rome, awaiting execution. Tradition says that he likely was beheaded by Nero. But before he met his own fate, Paul sat down and he wrote a final letter, and he wrote it to young Timothy, who was a pastor in the city of Ephesus. Timothy was his spiritual protege. And so Paul wanted to write him a final letter. And one of the things that he talks about, in fact, in the first three chapters of the book, uh, he talks in great detail about the last days. He talks about persecution that will arise in the last days. But at the end of the letter, Paul's tone changes. Paul's final challenge to young Timothy was to stay faithful to the Word of God, even in the face of persecution. Stay faithful to the Word of God in the last days. So what I want to do is examine this text with you and look at those two questions. Is the Bible reliable? Is the Bible relevant? And we're going to see what the Word of God says regarding that. So uh, if you have God's Word handy, follow along as I read verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed 
and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the question I want to wrestle with today as we're thinking about the Bible is this one. Is the Bible relevant? Is it, and is it reliable? Let's start with that one. Is the Bible reliable? You know, whenever you're asked that question, is the Bible reliable, we're actually talking about the inspiration of the Bible. How did we get our Bible? How did fallible men write an infallible message? The first four words of verse 16 answers that question. If you've got the NIV at least, I want you to read the first four words with me. Here's what it says. All Scripture is God-breathed. Did you know that around the world, in 2015, so far around the world, 1.7 million books have been published so far this year. 1.7 million books being published so far in 2015. But none of those books can make the claim that they are God-breathed. Now, they might be important books. They may have books with good information. They may be very accurate books. They may be books of history and books of self-help and important and helpful books. But none of them can say that they are God-breathed. But yet, Paul says about the Bible that the Scripture is God-breathed. Now, what does that phrase mean? Well, what it doesn't mean is this. It doesn't mean that just the people who wrote Scripture were inspired. It means that the text itself was inspired by God. Not just the people who wrote the text, but the text itself was inspired by God. And it doesn't mean that just the ideas are inspired, but it means that the words are inspired. And that is a great distinction. You see, this is what separates the Bible from every other book that's ever been written. The Bible is not a collection of stories and fables and myths about God. It's not just a human book where men recorded ideas, their ideas about God. No, the Bible is a God-breathed book. Not just inspired in ideas, but the very words on the page are inspired. So, Pastor, how did that happen? Well, 2 Timothy chapter 1 or Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 says this, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God worked through biblical writers to pen what God wanted written in its entirety and exactly as God intended it to be written. You see, men didn't come up with what's in this book. These are not the ideas and the words of men. These are the words of God. This book is God-breathed. Now, when you study how the Bible came about, it is fascinating. When you study how it was written, it is absolutely miraculous. I don't have the time to get into all of that, but let me just give you an illustration to help you see how fascinating and miraculous the composition of the Bible is. Let's suppose that I've chose 40 of you to write a chapter of a book. And you 40 were not together in a room. You're in different locations. Some of you wrote in, in English. Some of you wrote in Spanish. Some of you perhaps wrote in French. And you're in different locations, not having contact with one another, not knowing what the other is writing, writing in different languages at different times and in different locations. What are the chances that when I bring you together and put your stories together, that it actually makes one wonderful story. 
What are the chances that those 40 chapters would actually make a story that makes sense? Not very likely, right? Let's change the illustration. What about, what about if, if I could get 40 architects together? And they're working again in different locations. Most of them have never met one another. And, and they would, working together on a project, working together on a building, yet they cannot consult with one another because they don't know one another and they're living in different times and they're living in different locales. Uh, when they gathered to compare notes, what are the chances that they would produce one wonderful blueprint of that building? Almost absolutely impossible, right? Could it happen? Well, it did happen with the Bible. No publisher commissioned it. No committee outlined it. No earthly editor oversaw its production. There was nobody in Jerusalem said, Okay, now Peter, you write this. And, and, and John, you write this. There was, there was nobody at the, at the uh, Lifeway Convention building saying, This is how it needs to work. This is how it needs to look. And yet, this book, God breathed was put together over a period of 1,500 years. Had more than 40 authors, most of whom never met one another. It was written on three different continents, in three different languages, Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. And yet those 66 books put together tell a wonderful story, a story of a passionate pursuit, God's passionate pursuit of a sinful people, and the salvation that is only through Jesus Christ. Now, how do you explain that? How do you explain that people writing over a 1,500 period year time frame, 40 plus authors, who most of whom never met one another, that when you put all of their stories together, it tells one story? The only way to explain that is this. It is God breathed. Your Bible is the most incredible book ever written. Now, these four words in verse 16 speak not only of divine inspiration, but they also speak of total inspiration. Now, you guys have been awful quiet today, so I'm going to prod you a little bit, all right? Not only does this talk about divine inspiration, it also talks about total inspiration. You see in the first four words, here's what we read, verse 16. All Scripture is God-breathed. Now, I've got a hard question for you. I, I confess to you ahead of time, it's a hard question. But my question is this, how many is all? Yeah. All is all, right? All is all. All Scripture is God-breathed. Now think about this. You know what that means? You can't pick and choose which parts of the Bible you like. You can't pick and choose which parts of the Bible you're going to obey. If any of it is from God, all of it is from God. The word all literally means every single part of the whole. When he said all Scripture, he said every single part of the whole is God-breathed. Now some people have the mistaken idea that some parts of the Bible are inspired while other parts are not. And they think that they have the wisdom to discern which parts are inspired and which parts are not. Some people say that the New Testament is more inspired than the Old Testament. But the Bible clearly says that all the Bible is inspired. 
That all of it is God-breathed. The whole Bible is inspired. So here's the question we're dealing with. Is it reliable? And the bottom line is this. These scriptures are as reliable as God is. Because they're God-breathed. Some of it, but all of it. If God is the God of truth, and He has breathed out the scriptures, it is inconceivable that there is... Uh, there are errors in this book or contradictions in this book. You need to understand that the Bible is a total, reliable source for you and your life. That's all God breathed. So it is reliable. Second question I want to do with is this. But is it relevant? That's a, that's a very good question. Is it relevant? I mean, after all, it wasn't written in our century wasn't written in our country, wasn't even written in our language, wasn't written in our society. Is it relevant? I, I mean, think about it. When, when they wrote the Bible, they didn't have what we have today. When they wrote the Bible, they didn't know what we know today. When they wrote the Bible, they didn't have the technology that we have today. They didn't have the advances. They didn't have the social issues that we have, some of them. That we have today. Some of them they did. but So is it relevant pastor? Here's how some people deal with this. They will say. Well the Bible is relevant for. Watch this. The Bible is relevant for spiritual problems. Whatever that is. The Bible is relevant for spiritual problems. And, but real problems in life, well, you know, if you've got problems with your kids, or you've got problems at business, or you've got problems with your finances, well, you need to turn to Oprah's book club. Or, or you need to read these blogs, you know, because that's where you find help for real life. But if you have spiritual problems, then yeah, the Bible's relevant. Paul says in verse 16 that not only is the Bible totally reliable, he says in verse 16 that the Bible is totally useful for all of life. Here's how he describes it, verse 16. All scripture is God breathed and is and if you if you have pen, you might want to underline that word useful and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. What he's saying is that there is no problem in life for which the Bible does not speak. through explicit teaching or at least through principles that apply. I've given this to you before, but some of you don't have it written in your Bible, so let me give it to you again. He says the Bible is useful for teaching, that is, telling me what I need to know. The Bible is useful for rebuking, telling me what I need to stop. The Bible is useful for correcting, showing me how to change. And it's useful for training in righteousness, showing me what to do. Those are the four things the Bible is useful for. Telling me what I need to know, what I need to stop, what I need to change, what I need to do. And what I want to do in the next few minutes is dig down with, on each one of those a little bit uh, more. First of all, he said the Scripture is useful for teaching. There are principles and precepts in the Bible concerning all kinds of practical matters that you rap- wrestle with every day. 
How do I love my mate? How can I forgive those who hurt me? How should I raise my kids? How do I manage my money? How do I conduct my business? How do I make wise decisions? How do I control my emotions? How do I deal with my depression? How do I overcome temptation? The Bible speaks personally and practically to those issues and many, many more. The Bible is God's instruction manual on how we should live our life. It is practical. It is useful for teaching. Teaching us how to live. But it's also the Scripture is useful for confronting sin. If you look here, he says it's useful for teaching and what's the next word, class? Rebuking. The word rebuke means to convince or to expose. This means that the Bible has the power to expose sin in our lives and convince us when we are wrong. Now you might be thinking, why would I want that to happen? I mean, I'm trying to act like it's not there. I'm trying to push it down. I'm trying to ignore it. I'm trying to pretend like I never did it. I don't need something to expose the sin in my life. Yes, you do, because sin can ruin your life. You see, it's, it's only by exposing your sin that you can confess it and forsake it and avoid it. We, we need something speaking into our lives to convince us when we are in sin. We need someone, with a capital S, speaking into our lives to convince us and to convict us when we're living in sin. And here's the reason we need it. Because we all tend to do one of two things with our sin. First of all, we tend to justify it. We explain it. It might be sin in your situation, but it, in my situation it's different, Right? In my situation, I'm doing this because, and we've got a long because, we've got this list. This is the reason I'm, uh, we, we tend to justify our sin. And if we can't justify it, then we tend to blame it on others. You see, the reason I've got this sin problem is because, it's not because of me, it's because of you. I really don't have a sin problem, I've got a you problem. If you weren't here, if you didn't say that, if you didn't treat me that way, if you didn't act that way, if you didn't blame me, if you didn't cuss me out, you see, it's not, it's not a me problem, it's a you problem. Until I open this book and God speaks. And when I open this book and God speaks, then He confronts me, He rebukes me with my sin. And not to shame me, but to change me. Scripture is useful for confronting our sin. And then thirdly, Scripture is useful for correction. He says, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting. It's interesting, the Bible doesn't just point out where we're wrong and leave us there. It shows us how to get right with God. When we become aware of sin in our lives, it tells us how to confess that sin and how to experience God's forgiveness and how to get back on the path we used to be on. It tells us how to overcome harmful habits and how to break off harmful relationships and how to mend the problems that we've caused. The Bible is very useful. Scripture is very useful for correcting us. Then fourth, he said, Scripture is useful for training in righteousness. Once we get back on the path, the Bible tells us how to stay there and how to make progress. Training means literally training a child. That's literally what the word means. Training a child. Now, now those of you who are parents, you can understand this. When, whenever you're training a child, it takes more than telling them one time. 
You don't train them in a day. You don't train them in a week. You don't train them in a month. You don't even train them in a year, do you? As they're growing, as they're maturing, you're training them all along the way. And you're telling them over and over and over. As they get over, you're still training. You're still guiding. And, and the Bible says, this is the role of Scripture. The role of Scripture is to train you in righteousness. And it is indeed a process. It is not something you will accomplish in a day, or a week, or a month, or a year. But God is continually speaking into your life through His Word to train you for righteousness. I like the way Eugene Peterson described it. He said, The goal of reading the Word is to listen for the voice of the God who speaks. The goal of reading the Word is not to say, I've read my Bible. It's not to say that I've read through this book. The goal of reading the Word, he said, is to listen for the voice of the God who speaks. Every day, we need God to speak to us, don't we? Every day, we need... God, to show us what is right and what isn't right and how to get right and how to stay right. Because, ladies and gentlemen, we live in a twisted, perverted, godless, lost world. We need a book that is God-breathed to show us how to live in that world. So he goes on to say in verse 17, so that, so that means, it's connected to verse 16, all Scriptures God-breathed, Helps you in these four areas so that the man of God, you could also say the woman of God, may be thoroughly equipped. That's talking about spiritual maturity. Thoroughly equipped, spiritually mature, for every good work. I'm talking about service. So the Bible was given to help you in those four areas so that you might live your life the way God wants you to live it. So that you might serve God with your life. So that, watch this, so that when God has something He wants you to do, you are usable. So that when God has something He wants you to do, you are usable. And then he says, chapter 4, verse 1, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who would judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing and His kingdom, I give you this charge. Now that's some pretty heavy words right there. Paul's just explained that the Scripture is God-breathed and it's very profitable, it's reliable, and it's very profitable. And he says, now, Timothy, before I leave this earth, as you're still here pastoring in Ephesus, before I leave this earth, I've got one final thing I want to give you. One final charge I want to give to you. I know you're a young pastor, and I want to give you one final charge. And I give you this charge in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who would judge the living and the dead. And in view of His appearing and His kingdom, I give you this charge. My goodness, what would the charge be? And here's the charge, verse 2. Preach the Word. That's how important this is. In the presence of God. and the presence of Christ Jesus. In view of His kingdom and His coming, I give you this charge. Preach the Word. Here's the reason. Preach the Word. Be prepared. In season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. You know what that means? Comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Preach the Word. Tell them what they need to know and tell them those things that they don't want to know. 
Preach the Word. And you do it with great patience and careful instruction. And here's why. Verse 3. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the what? What? They'll turn their ears away from the truth. And turn aside to myths. But you, Timothy, in contrast, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Preach the Word. Because it is the only book that is God-breathed. It's the only book that is God-breathed. And as we live in the last days, we need to hear from God. Would you join me as I pray? Paul's final answer to the terrible times that are coming in the last days was build your life on the Word of God and you'll be able to survive the hard times that are coming. Be faithful to the Word and your life will be better because of it. Here's what I'd like to ask you to do this week. Kind of as an as a, uh, application of the message As you read your Bibles this week, every head bowed, every eye closed, as you read your Bible this week, maybe tomorrow morning you start in your devotions, let's say you're in the book of Philippians chapter 2. As you open the Bible, I would ask you to say out loud, this is God breathed. Say it to yourself. Just say it out loud. This is God breathed. And it doesn't matter where you're, you're reading. It doesn't matter where you open the Bible, whether it's Matthew or Malachi. Uh, whether it's, it's Genesis or Galatians, it does not matter because it is all God-breathed. So when you open the Bible tomorrow or tonight, whenever you do your devotions next, whenever you open your, the Bible, say it out loud, this is God-breathed. And I'm going to challenge you to say that every day. Every day this week, next seven days, when you open your Bible for your personal devotions, before you read the first word, remind yourself, say it out loud, this is God-breathed. And then, let God speak to you. And obey Him. If it is God-breathed, God is not speaking just to be speaking. He has a word for you to follow. Thank you, Lord, for Your word that is God-breathed. Thank you, Father, for the instructions that You give us and the comfort that You give us, the rebuke that we sometimes need the correction to show us how to get back, and the training in righteousness to show us how to live and stay on the the path that we need to walk. Thank you for your word. Thank you for inspiring those who sat down, put pen to paper, but ultimately, your Holy Spirit speaking through their hands. God, we're grateful for the miracle of the Bible. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.